Well, my name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, We'd love to find a way to help you connect with us. Feel free to let us know on your communication tab or give us a shout out on the app. We want this to feel like home for you. As we begin this morning, I want to ask if you have ever uh, allowed an opportunity to slip through your fingers. You don't have to raise your hand. But has there ever been a time in your life when you knew you needed to make a decision, uh, but you didn't or you hesitated and the opportunity passed you by? Many of us have felt that way at some point in our lives. And I think that's how, uh, really how Yahoo feels when they think about the opportunity they had to buy Facebook in 2006. This past week, I was reading about the experience, and Facebook was on the table for $1 billion. And at the last minute, Yahoo hesitated, and they tried to undercut with a lower offer, only $800,000 instead of a billion, just a significant undercut. And Zuckerberg was offended. There were some words exchanged. And because of their hesitation, Yahoo, the company that was eventually bought out themselves, missed an opportunity to buy the giant Facebook and be who knows what today. We've all heard of Bill Gates, but maybe we haven't heard of Gary Kildall. Gary Kildall could have been Bill Gates, many believe. In 1980, IBM had created this, their version of the personal computer, and they courted Gary Kildall to use his operating system in their computers. He was so convinced that he was going to get the deal that at the closing, he sent his wife Dorothy instead of going himself. The legend has it that he went flying and thought that Dorothy could handle it. She was a, uh, had a great reputation as a business lady herself. Well, at the closing, Dorothy was offended. There were some more words exchanged, and she hesitated. And by the end of the day, the story says that they decided to go with Bill Gates's operating system that we now know or evolved into Windows, and I'm really not sure whatever happened to Gary Kildall. Bill Gates capitalized on an opportunity. Mark Zuckerberg capitalized on an opportunity. And this morning, I want to encourage you to capitalize on an opportunity that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28. I'm convinced that if we'll not hesitate, but if we'll step forward into Jesus' invitation, that we can truly know what it's like to be a church Charleston can't live without. Let me invite you to look with me at this passage, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And as you turn in your Bible or your Bible app, let me invite you to stand as I read. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This morning, I'd like us to ask, what has has God called Bible Center to do? You may be seated as we begin. 
It's helpful at times for a church to go back and ask, what is our mission? What has God invited us to do? If you're following along in your outline or on the app, you'll see that our mission is glorifying God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. Glorifying God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. You'll seldom ever hear me encourage you to go back and listen to a previous sermon. Uh, I typically don't say, hey, you need to check out a sermon I preached. Usually I'm saying, check out a sermon somebody else preached. But if you're new to Bible Center, or even if you just missed last week and you're a veteran Bible Center member, let me encourage you to go back this week on the app and listen to the message out of Ephesians 3. Last week, in about 35, 40 minutes, we tried to, to mine out what the scriptures teach about the glory of God. I'll not re-preach the whole sermon, but just giving, you, in, giving it to you in a nutshell, it's simply this. The word glorify means to make something that seems far seem near, or make something that seems unknowable seem knowable. To make something that seems far seem near, or something that seems unknowable seem knowable. That's what we do in a telescope. I've mentioned that before. When we look at the moon or a planet in the telescope, the planet doesn't grow larger, but it's something that's unknown to us until we magnify it or glorify it, and then we're able to see it as it really is. Jesus said his whole mission on the earth for his 30-some years that he walked this planet was to glorify the Father. And so if we interview Jesus and say, Jesus, what did you mean by that, to glorify the Father? He tells us in John 17, verses 1 through 4. In John 17, he writes, where Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And we don't want to miss this part. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So if we summarize what it means to glorify God, it's that we might be able to make God known to people who don't already know him. This is the idea behind 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. It certainly doesn't mean that while we're eating, we need to be singing hymns, or while we're drinking, we need to be uh, reciting scripture. But Paul is saying that in everything we do, we have the opportunity to make God known to a people who don't already know him. This is how our staff is trying to see all of our ministries. Does this ministry, our pastors are thinking through this, our, our staff, our elders are thinking through this, does this ministry cause us to make God known or in the particular way that we're doing this ministry isn't making God known? Is there a way we could make God known more by tweaking a ministry and doing it slightly differently? These are the questions that missionaries ask and the questions that we're asking as a church. 
One of the ways we're asking that is about youth group, about our student ministry, our middle school and high school ministries on Sunday nights. They're moving to Sunday nights beginning September 10th. We had the announcement in the bulletin last week, and there's more information online. Every time we get a question, we try to add that to the, uh, the, the FAQ page. We're moving to Sunday nights instead of Wednesday nights for this very reason. We want to make God known to more students in the greater Charleston area than we currently are today. Once in a while, someone will say, well, if our student ministry is doing fine, why are we changing it? Well, like Pastor Matt would say, you have to define fine. When we say fine, are we thankful for the 150 or so kids that join us on Wednesday nights to celebrate Jesus and to come together and study God's word? We absolutely are. But we're starting to ask the question, what about the 5,000 students who currently aren't involved in any local church within driving distance of Bible Center Church? What would it look like for us to make a tweak to make God known to them? And so for the last few decades, the youth group has met on Wednesday nights. And I want to say as your pastor, I get it that change can be difficult. Now, for some of you, many of you who've written me and said, it's not difficult, this works out well. But if you've got questions, I get it, change can be difficult. You know, I'm from here, and some of us kind of grew up in this same style of church where Wednesday night was like the night. It was the religious night. You don't touch Wednesday nights. But what we discovered is a number of our students are coming to us and saying that they're trying to invite their friends to youth group but if their friends go to a school, which is the majority of the schools in our area, that either have athletics on Wednesday nights or they don't get a break in homework on Wednesday nights, time and time and time again they're being rejected, saying, no, I can't come. I've got this or I've got that. Now, we have an opportunity as a church by moving it to Sunday nights. We could, or not moving it to Sunday, we could say this. We as a church are going to uphold the tradition of Wednesday night youth group. And if every student in the Charleston area can't come because of their school obligations or extracurricular activities, that's just tough. And we could say that. I would argue, though, that churches who make those kinds of statements are churches who die. And it's not that they don't want to become like the culture. is I believe they've forgotten their purpose to make God known in their city. I think if we ask Jesus... Jesus, if you had the opportunity to get, give up a long-standing tradition for the glory of your Father to be more known in the lives of people, would you do it? And I think we see in the Scriptures the resounding yes. Jesus said that if our traditions cause a little one or a young person to stumble, it would be better that a millstone be hung around our neck and we'd be cast into the depths of the deepest sea. But we're praying that God would use this transition. Will you pray with us about this? Our student ministry pastor, our middle school pastor, is excited for the opportunity. It's going to let our students serve on Sunday mornings a little more faithfully and also allow them to serve on Wednesday nights, those who go to a school that maybe they don't have athletics on Wednesday nights or they don't have homework on Wednesday nights. And so they're going to be trained, they're going to be prepared. We have a great group of youth group, great group of students 
But if you've got questions or maybe you're not sure how you're going to make it work with your community group or your other kid, let me encourage you to reach out to Pastor Matt Garrison. Uh, that's mgarrison at biblecenterchurch.com. He can answer all of your questions and resolve all of your tensions, any questions that you have. But pray for our student ministry. We want to glorify the Father by helping students know him more. So our, our mission is to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. Let's ask the next question. What is a follower of Jesus? What is a follower of Jesus? You see in your outline, a follower of Jesus is someone who has accepted Jesus' invitation to start following him as Lord. Jesus' invitation to start following him as Lord. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? First of all, it's someone who is accepted to Jesus' invitation to start following him as Lord. In verse 18, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Essentially, he's appealing to his lordship. I am Christ the Lord, so follow me. We see the same language with Peter, James, and John when he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's important that we see this as a process and not a one-time event. This isn't something that happens at a moment in time and we never have to follow Jesus again. But it's a process. The New Testament says grow in your faith, add to your faith, excel still more in your faith. When we think about following Jesus, it can seem strange. Twelve men left their jobs and followed Jesus as their teacher. But if we live back in the first century, it wouldn't seem quite so strange. People did this all the time. They would follow a rabbi. They would follow a popular teacher. And really, if we put it in this context, we do it all the time still. We call it college or seminary. We leave what's comfortable to go somewhere that's not comfortable to sit at the feet of teachers that we hopefully trust and want to follow. And so Jesus here in this passage calls his, calls his followers to come after him, to learn from him, and then he calls us to also make disciples. Following Jesus as Lord is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. In Luke 14, 25, he writes, Now great crowds accompanied him. And he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Therefore, if anyone who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple." That's strong language by Jesus. Essentially what he's saying is this. The only people who come to Jesus for discipleship are people who want Jesus' way more than any other way. 
The scriptures never teach that we come to Jesus by doing good works or denying ourselves of certain pleasures in life. But we come to Jesus when we say, Lord, I want your way. I want you to be my master. I no longer want to rule myself. This is why the Apostle Paul says, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, he will be saved. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, believing that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again the third day for you, and that you've never made the choice to commit your life to following him, let me invite you to do that today. In a few minutes, we'll take communion. And maybe this could be the first communion that's been meaningful in your life, not just a tradition, but you'll decide to follow Christ as Lord. What's it mean to be a disciple? It means following him as Lord. But there's something else we see in this passage. It means obeying him in life. Verse 20. In verse 20 he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is a disciple? It's someone who's accepted Jesus' invitation to obey him in life. When we think about following Jesus, it's important that we see the connection between him and his word. Following Jesus requires us f loving and obeying and learning his word. John 8, 31 and 32. He says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The Bible is crucial for discipleship. So what is a disciple? It's someone who follows Jesus as Lord. It's someone who obeys Jesus in life. But there's one other passage I really want you to get down if you're taking notes. And it's in John 13. And it teaches us this. Following Jesus means to show him in love. Someone who shows him in love. I think your notes say John 13, 31 and 32 but it's actually verses 34 and 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we've really just covered a lot. We've gone through the theology of what it means to be a disciple. I'd like you to picture this, if you will. They're sitting at a campfire, Jesus' disciples. And maybe something like this happened. We see it in the scriptures, something similar. But just we use our imaginations for a minute. They're around the campfire, and one of his disciples, probably Peter, but one of his disciples, maybe it was you, stands up and begins to brag about all that he has learned following Jesus. That disciple pulls out charts and shows how he has learned to chart world history. He could even chart the end times. And he says, because I follow Jesus, I know how the world is going to end. I've learned so much. 
And then another disciple uh, begins to brag and say, well, I follow Jesus. I've learned how to interpret the Old Testament. I can go through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and I know what all the sacrifices mean and all the laws mean. And then another disciple stands and brags that he can defend the deity of Jesus. I can tell you 20 reasons why Jesus is God. In the middle of their bragging, picture if you will, Jesus walks up to the campfire and he asks a simple question. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? You can imagine the disciples as they begin to scramble and think to themselves, well, certainly I love my neighbor, but all they're talking about and bragging about is what they know. And over and over again, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, it's more than just what you put in your head, but it's how you love the people in your life. Bible Center has so much potential. We have so many neighbors. What would happen if we had a revival of love, not only a revival of truth? The scriptures teach that Jesus is the God of truth and of grace. Yes, let's make sure we get the truth right, but Charleston will be set on fire with the gospel when we also get love right. Are you a disciple of Christ? You say, well, Pastor Matt, of course I am. I know the gospel. I can recite it word for word. But did you love your wife this week? If we were to interview your kids and say, do you, do you, do, do you feel that your dad or your mom loves you, what would they say? You know, what we're seeing, I'll mention it in a moment, but what we're seeing on television with the talking heads and the rhetoric, and you've got the evangelical right so-called and the far left so-called, I just want to shout into the TV and thank Christian church, let's rise up and love. As long as we're going to love being right more than we love our neighbor, we will never see revival. But the evidence that we are truly born again, John 13, 34, and 35 says, is that we love others. Are we following Jesus? He says the way we can know that is by our love. How do we make disciples? How do we lead others to follow Jesus? In your outline, I list several ways from this passage First and foremost, it's by going about our business already. In verse 19, he writes, Matthew records Jesus saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you're taking notes, you can write beside go. It literally means going while you're going. Jesus assumes that they're going. He's probably thinking of Deuteronomy 6, when Moses wrote, when you walk by the way, when you rise up, when you lie down. Jesus says, while you are going. He's attaching everything that we do with the purpose and meaning of discipleship. We don't shift gears and become disciple makers two hours a week. But Jesus says you can be a disciple maker as you are going. 
In other words, don't quit your job unless God leads you to quit your job. You don't have to uh, leave your home or leave your neighborhood unless God calls you to leave your home or your neighborhood. But while you're going to work, while you're living your normal everyday life, he says, make disciples. I love the quote from the Gladiator movie. Maximus famously says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And Jesus calls us to be salt and light right where we are. Where is Bible Center Church on Sunday? It's at 100 Bible Center Drive. Where is Bible Center Church on Monday? It's wherever you work and wherever you live. If you're a plumber, may your pipes uh, be the best fit pipes in Charleston. If you're a surgeon, may your, your surgeries be the most accurate. If you're a lawyer, may you be the sharpest lawyer standing for truth. It's not that we remove ourselves and get weird, but that we go into the community doing what God's called us to do and do it well while we are going. It's okay to make friends with someone who's unchurched. How many of you have to ask, you have a close friend who's not, probably not a believer? Anybody have a close friend like that? That's awesome. That's great. You know, I think a lot of times the reasons people don't come to church is simply because they have the stereotype that Christians are weird. And maybe some of us are weird at times. But the greatest way we can take the gospel is just as we're going, building relationships, being salt and light to the people already in our lives. How else do we make disciples? Well, we see it in verse 19. By sending the gospel to all nations. Sending the gospel to all nations. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word nations, if you're taking notes, the Greek word, I seldom do this, is the word ethnos. It's the word from we get the word ethnicity. So literally, a first century believer would have read this, go therefore and make disciples of all ethnic groups, of all ethnicities. Think with me for a minute. Borders of countries change. The countries that are in the world today weren't the countries in the world when Jesus lived. They change. Lines get drawn after different peace accords. But the word ethnicities refers to all the ethnic groups. Linguists suggest there's about 17,000 ethnic groups in the world. That's different languages, different dialects, different cultures that are almost a culture to themselves. They, they don't really morph into another culture, so that number can be anywhere upwards of 25,000. But let's use 17,000 to be safe. 17,000 different ethnicities. Jesus connects what he's already said about discipleship, about loving our neighbor as ourselves. He connects this and says, let's not forget that this isn't just for our ethnicity, but it's for all ethnicities. First century missionaries most commonly weren't those that were given a year's salary and sent on their way to do mission, although we see that develop later as the, the church develops. 
But New Testament missionaries were those who were going to the Far East to do business. And Paul, or excuse me, Matthew writes, recording the words of Jesus, he says, hey, as you go to the Far East to do business, remember all nations. It were those in the Middle East who were going to Africa to do business or to trade. And and as you're going, remember all ethnicities. And Jesus' command to reach all nations extends to the ethnicities that live within our country. You know, yesterday I came back, we spent two days, a day and a half at Summersville. Had a great time hanging out with the family. Jumped off of Pirate's Cove Cliff. Scared me to death. We had a good time. So I was really out of touch for two days with the news. I came back yesterday afternoon. I saw what happened in Charlottesville and thought about this sermon, this text already mentions ethnicities. And God calls us to reach and love all nations. This thought occurred to me last night. Racists will hate heaven. Racists will hate heaven. Here's what I mean by that. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, John writes, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain by your blood, and you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, the Apostle Peter caught a glimpse of Jesus' love for all ethnicities, and so they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if we'll catch a glimpse of the gospel, there's no ethnicity that'll be beyond our love and our reach and our friendship and our influence because the gospel Sins is to be sent to all nations. Let's continue to pray for the church in Virginia. And let's pray for the church in West Virginia. Because I'm sure that kind of stuff probably happens here. And ask God to help us be a people of all ethnicities. He gives us two more ways. Two more ways that we can make disciples quickly. And by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll see in your bulletin all the announcements about baptism Sunday coming up in September. And then lastly, we see in verse 19, we make disciples by teaching Jesus' followers. Teaching Jesus' followers. In verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then in verse 20, he says, Teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching is imperative to our discipleship. The way we make disciples is one person taking God's word and sharing it with somebody else so that God's word can change their lives. We see it over and over again in the scriptures Jesus taught Matthew and John. Peter taught Mark. Paul taught Luke. And the way that we make disciples is by teaching others God's word. Sam Shoemaker wrote this. It's not the main job of the church to keep people busy. 
to build a membership list for its own sake, or to hoard large amounts of wealth and savings. It's the main job of the church to fashion people who behave like Jesus Christ. And they cannot be hewed out as mediocre mass wholesale, but only one by one. The way we do it here at Bible Center is making opportunities for you to connect God's Word to others. We do that through adult Bible fellowships. We do that through community groups. You can jump in and serve in Awana or teach God's Word in base camp, serving God in student, student ministry, middle school or high school ministry, joining a man-up group, joining a ladies' group. There's scores of ways to start. But I was talking to Pastor Mike this week, our new pastor of Group Life, and he said, Matt, just encourage the people if they already have a friend that they know and love and trust, just to start meeting together maybe every week and reading God's Word together. The Scriptures make us who we are. Why are we so excited about making disciples? In your outline, you'll see Jesus is building His church, and He simply invites us to join Him. Jesus is building his church, and he simply invites us to join him. Verse 18, all authority is given on heaven and on earth. And in verse 20, he reminds them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus encourages his people to make disciples, he says, you'll not be alone. Now think about it for just a minute. Matthew opens up with this promise that the, the God of heaven is being made human. He's taking on himself the form of a human. In Matthew 1.23, he says, God with us, Emmanuel. So that's the beginning of the book of Matthew, or you go left to right. That's the beginning of the book of Matthew. By the time you get to the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right in the middle of the book of Matthew is Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the book of Matthew written to first century believers, and they're wondering, they're, they're scared. Jesus has died, he's been buried. Yes, he rose, rose again and ascended back into heaven, but they're feeling alone. They're wondering, can we be a church that truly impacts our world? And the Spirit of God leads Matthew to, calls them to remember, God with you in baby Jesus. God with you for the Ends of, end of time through the Holy Spirit, and then he promises them, I'm the one building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why can we be so excited about our discipleship process? Because it's not up to us. God is already doing it, and we just simply join him in the mission. What's the main encouragement today? It's simply this. Make one decision today that will help you make more disciples tomorrow. Make one decision today that will help you make more disciples tomorrow. I don't know what that decision will be for you. Maybe the decision for you is to be baptized. Maybe you've not been baptized and you say, you know, it's time for me to do that. All the information's in your bulletin. Maybe the decision for you is to jump into a group or an adult Bible fellowship. It's all there. 
Maybe the decision for you is to go out to our ministry fair and serve in Awana this year. I'll be there. I'd love to have you with me. Maybe it's on Sunday nights to serve in our student ministry. Again, I'll be there. We look forward to serving together. Maybe the decision for you is to start praying before you go to work every day. God, help me to be a missionary for Jesus today at my job more than ever before. Whatever the decision is for you, let me invite you to take communion. Use this time to ask the Lord, Lord, what decision do you want me to make to help produce more maturing followers for Jesus Christ? Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people at Bible Center. And Lord, tackling our city with the gospel is not something we can do alone. I'm so thankful that you tell us what a disciple is. I'm so thankful that you've invited us in to be disciples ourselves. Help us to follow you as Lord. Help us to obey you in life. And God, help us to show you with love. I pray, oh Lord, in the middle of a nation in crisis that you will help us to be a people who glorify you by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. Lord, help us to go while we're going to be salt and light. Help us to send the gospel or take the gospel to all ethnicities. I pray you'd help us to baptize faithfully and to teach faithfully. Lord, thank you that we don't do this alone. And during this communion, whatever decision you're inviting your people to make, I pray that we would listen to your spirit and make that decision in our seats. Help us to take the next step in our faith, not for ourselves, but so that we might not miss the opportunity to glorify you in the lives of others. I pray that people would look back to this Sunday and remember a specific decision that changed their lives and helped them make more disciples for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.